Hello and welcome to the Pain Cave. My name is Jay Friedman. I'm your host and I'm very excited to be joined as always by my co-host and partner in crime, the Fulham Flyer, the Shawangunk Express. He is the Sally McRae to my Sally Field. Phil Vondra, welcome back to the Pain Cave. All right, Jay, as always, good to be here. Psyched to have you here and we are once again psyched to welcome in an amazing guest here for what is going to be another fantastic 20 questions episode, actually going to be his second time here in the pain cave, but the first time with you, Phil, uh, on the flying in the, in the co-pilot seat. He yeah. is the founder of the Some Work All Play running team and the co-host of the Some Work All Play podcast, which is sweeping the nation at dizzying speed. He is also a, a world-renowned coach, author, and a reformed attorney. He's a two-time national trail running champion, a three-time national team member, and he coaches both of the hosts of this podcast, David Roche. David, welcome back to the Pain Cave. Thank you so much for having me. I am so pumped to get to like talk to you guys informally after talking to you every single day in your training logs. For, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't know what you're at. I assume it's thousands of days now. It, feel, it feels that way. I'm very close to thousands. I have gotten, um, so I can't wait. Yeah, I'm, I think we're both uh, approaching a thousand. I think I hit a thousand sometime in February, and, and Phil, you're probably right yeah. around there as well. Around yeah, but this will be a little time. bit different, rather than just uh, you know looking at it, looking at a Google sheet. Yeah, um, you know, I feel like the Google sheets are really good in that they allow a certain like rep- re- or repetitive nature, where you can build up this like intimacy where nothing is off limits. Um, but you know what? What is a Google sheet other than? a podcast in a very small type. So that's exactly, that's what I've always said. So let's do this. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. We're going to talk a little bit about coaching and, and kind of, uh, I think a little bit about the mental side of running today. And we're going to get into some fun 20 questions. But before we do, Phil, what are we drinking tonight? Well, I am drinking an all-time favorite of mine. It's an Athletic Brewing Run Wild IPA. Mm, very I'm, nice. Um, feeling the... Uh, the non-alcoholic nature of this drink, and I actually really like it as well as some of the other beers. So, I am going to go with actually since we just passed the witching hour here on the East Coast, I'm going to uh, break open a Captain Lawrence Orbital Tilt, which I didn't even know I had in the in the beer fridge, but I don't know where it came from, but I'm happy to have it. I think last brewed in the 1970s. So, <laughs> cheers, Good guys. Age. Cheers. I'm going to jump in while you guys are drinking and say, Megan has this on her desk. It's a hop tea. If no one's ever had this, it's essentially chamomile tea with hops. Um, I don't really understand the whole non-alcoholic beer thing. I, I don't <laughs> I don't drink alcohol anymore. But I'm kind of like, if you're going to make something that's impersonating something else, make me something that impersonates Capri Sun because that's kind of my <laughs> taste palette. Um, but these are actually really good. It, as long as I don't think like, this is just impersonating beer. And I'm just like, this is its own thing. This kind of like, you know, letting it be itself. So is it tea, calm. I think it's calm. Yeah, something like that. So I'm going to be very chill on this episode. Chamomile and hops. It does sound nice, actually. I do like chamomile tea, so. Isn't yeah, tam- I, I'm going to be talking with a British accent very shortly, <laughs> I feel like. <laughs> Isn't Tang impersonating Capri Sun? Oh, it's a good question. <laughs> I'm yeah, saying it's bad about my, my Tang. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to think about this. We're gonna have to think about what what's the the impersonated that what's the down market Capri Sun. What is to what? be hundred percent serious though <laughs> to give you a taste idea of my palate. What I'm really into and I recently ordered from Amazon. Uh, so I ordered a fifty dollars shipment from Amazon, thinking okay, it's just like it's expensive nowadays. It had six of the thi- six of the little containers, um, and what I ended up getting were six massive gallon drums of Nesquik. 
Um, so I'll be spending the next year or so, let's be honest, next month or so, working through these big gallon drums of Nesquik, which is kind of, uh, you know, when I need that sugar hit, just put it in, put it in everything, basically. I'd sprinkle it on steak if I could. <laughs> Nothing stopping you. Uh, other than true. other than common decency, I'm an adult now. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, okay, so Dave, as as we mentioned up top, you you are, you know, you're our coach. You coach uh, dozens of athletes, including some of the absolute best athletes in the world. Folks who have read your book know that you're, or or read your your column on on trail in Trailrunner magazine or on on their website. You know, we we know that you're an expert in any number of aspects of uh, running training preparation that sort of thing from physiology to workout building mental uh, preparation uh, nutritional things I-, I wanted to focus a little bit on on the mental aspect uh, here tonight before we get into 20 questions because you know as an athlete of yours you know I, I know that that's a-, a main a main focus of import in, in all the work that we do and 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 when when you spend time online following, you know, the, the various athletes under the SWAP umbrella, especially those at the highest levels of the sport, they're all, for the most part, very focused on the mental applications and, and really running with joy and, and running with happiness and that sort of thing. Now, the, the, as, the aspect I wanted to kind of touch base with you on was uh, in terms of kind of, I guess I would say, goal setting and uh, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, because this I find to be a, a kind of a tricky topic, especially for highly motivated you know, goal-directed athletes, uh, in, in the athletes I work with myself, and, and also in my own training and, and development as an athlete, I think this has been something that I've often struggled with. Talk a little bit to us about the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, and then I want to ask you a question about kind of mental, the mental approach you have for athletes in terms of racing. That's such a great topic, and I mean, I think it's like the most important topic for us to think about our decisions and everything we do in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, maybe the best way to frame any of this is like what happens when you reach the ultimate goal? It's like the answer is you wake up the next day and nothing has changed. <laughs> um, and the same thing goes when you have your lowest lows for the most part, um, at least with running. And understanding that and having that zoomed out perspective, I think is a main role of a coach because to an athlete, especially one that's really goal-driven, it can feel like it is the world. And if you do it, it'll read to these great places. And then what you see in practice is people can win a gold medal or win a world championship. And I've been fortunate to coach some athletes that have, and then wake up depressed the next day and depressed the next month. And it's like, well, what was the journey about at that stage? Because this isn't, you know, fundamentally altering the universe or anything beyond uh, the world that we're, you know, occupying between our two years. And so, I try to really focus on that world as much as I can, not via direct, like you should be happy when you're running or you should choose races that make you happy necessarily because that I think flows from different places for everyone. What I try to focus on as much as possible is creating a culture of celebration where we're not hesitating with this conditional love for ourselves to be like, okay, this run was worthwhile or this race was worthwhile or only that race counts or whatever. Hopefully it can all be celebrated equally, not just, good days, but also shit days and everything in between. And when you, when you give someone the permission essentially to affirm themselves and others through ups and downs, a lot of the questions about extrinsic or intrinsic work themselves out because you're finding, well, if I'm going to be celebrating the good and the bad, 
I mainly just want to put myself out there in experiences that seem exciting and interesting. And it gives you permission to shoot your shot, fail if that happens, because failure is just as great as an ultimate success. Um, and I think that, you know, that seems so cliche, but then you see it behind the scenes and it's like, it smacks you in the face. And coaching didn't start this way, though maybe I have a little bit of that personality by nature. It was more like you see that life goes on. And in that context, like it can be the most uplifting thing in the world to give yourself a big pat on the back and chase some big, scary dreams, not because you're going to reach them, but because in choosing something big and scary, you sometimes won't. And that's where a lot of the fun of life happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. You know, I've, I've been focusing a lot with my athletes on the the idea of embracing the process, which I know is something that you're huge on. And, and that's something that I've always that, that's one aspect of it that has always made the most sense to me is, like you say, the, the, the race results can be fleeting, good races and bad races. You wake up the next day and your, your life is basically the same. I mean, maybe, maybe it's different if that good race was Western States, but, uh, you know, and, and you're Jim Wamsley or whatever, but, uh, you know, maybe it's not. And, and so, you know, right, unless we're getting joy and satisfaction out of the day-to-day process, then the whole pursuit is kind of meaningless. So that, that's something I can, can kind of relate to. What do you say to athletes who, I, I mean, I'm sure you work with people who, uh, for most of us, I guess, so much of our, our identity as people is tied up in being an athlete, is tied up in being a runner. And I think that comes with both good and bad sides to it. Uh, how, how do you how do you conceptualize that? And and you know, are, are you cautious about you know having people think of themselves in that way? Oh no way! Go all in on yourself as an athlete. <laughs> I mean, we're all athletes. Even the people that, if there's any non-runners listening to this, like people that just use your body, like we're all doing athletic things, and we get one body to do them with. So you know, treat yourself like the elite athlete boss you are, and that includes the mental side, like. I want everyone, whether it's, you know, a pro athlete that's like winning the biggest race in the world to someone that is trying to run, walk their first 5k to be like, you know, I'm a fucking boss. That is the culture of celebration is not saying like, oh, I'm enough as I am. And that's it. It's going the next step and being like, I'm more than that. And that requires, I think, taking it seriously and taking yourself seriously, even as you understand, you know, you have a little wink behind the scenes. Um, So yeah, I mean, I want everyone in the context of their lives in a way that's meaningful to them to find a way to like bet on themselves, like bet on yourself as much as you possibly can. That includes with race decisions, includes with training um, and everything else. And, you know, the, the permission to fail is the ultimate like um, allowance to do that where you're not necessarily worried that, okay, I need to play the odds here every single day because if something bad happens, I'm no longer an athlete. If I get injured or if I quit, like burn out or whatever, it's like, no, it's, you're fine. Uh, and, and one of the main ways that I think that that manifests in coaching, that I'm sure every coach deals with to a certain extent, is like an athlete being saying, oh, well, I want to take a break. I want to take a month off coaching or whatever. I almost never do that. I'm almost like, well, that's just this coaching relationship is not, we're not on the same page. Like, you know, even if you're not running, I want you checking into your log and talking to me about life. Even if you can't pay, I don't care. Like, I, I just want it to be this thing where you're constantly reinvesting in yourself as an athlete um because in investing as yourself as an athlete that's like a metaphor for you know being a human and like that's where the ultimate meaning comes in right right so along those lines of of like you say kind of dreaming big and shooting your shot which is something that you guys talk about on the podcast and with your athletes all the time i want to i want to kind of get a little bit specific just on 
how that translates to kind of uh, race conceptualization, race planning, and that sort of thing. Because, you know, as Phil and I have both noted, you know, when we put a race on the schedule, that race doesn't just go on the schedule. I, I should say that that race doesn't just go on the schedule without comment from you. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and generally, you're invested in making sure that that race is that we're, that we're approaching that race for, quote unquote, the right reasons, or, or that we're, you know, we, we have the, the correct motivation behind it. And I know if I say, you know, uh, you know, I, I really think I can do well at this race. This course suits me because of this. I really, I think I can run, you know, this time or whatever. You're like, that's great. I don't care about any of that shit. <laughs> you know, tell me really why you want to run this race. And and I appreciate that in terms of finding, like we said, an intrinsic motivator as to why am I, you know, putting, you know, all my eggs or, or any eggs in this basket or whatever. But at the same time, you work with a lot of, you know, really highly motivated, really competitive athletes. And I can't imagine that every i'll take an example that I, that sticks out in my mind like with um with one of your your great uh, athletes zach uh, ornelis who a couple of years ago had won the comset 50k the national championship i think it run in the high 240s or low 250s like a really good time and then later that year uh, you know went to i don't remember exactly where it was it may have been chicago lakefront or tunnel hill or something like that and basically was like i'm going here to try and run under five hours for 50 miles and we were like yeah. awesome that's great but at the same time, I'm like, I'm sure David didn't like say, oh, sounds great. Like, uh, yeah, that, that sounds like the perfect reason to want to run this race. So how do you balance that? How do you balance like an athlete with, you know, obviously motivated and large, you know, uh, high level extrinsic goals or high level extrinsic motivators with, you know, needing to develop some sort of intrinsic motivation there? Yeah, and that's a great point. Call me on my shit. <laughs> um, no, no, I, and I, I think that that points out something that is a little bit of a tough spot, is something like a road marathon or going for a 50-mile time, very different than something even like winning Western States. Where at Western States, you go out there, you have fun in the training, you try your best on the day. You're like, I'm never having anyone do splits or anything like that. It doesn't really matter. Different, and obviously, when you're chasing times, and it's very specific, and the time is part of what is meaningful about it. Um, and so I asked, I tell Zach the same exact things that you've heard, which is like, I don't give a fuck. Like I don't about the result. Like, would you do this anyway? Right. And you know, Zach is someone who has always been like lovingly motivated by the same types of things that would make other athletes, you know, burn up on like, as soon as they contemplate that goal, you know, because then they're not enough if they don't achieve it. Um, and you know, they're judging themselves on every workout, all those types of things to know Zach is to know this truly genuine, curious person about what his body can do in a speed sense, um, without like the speed is part of the process for him. Like it's not, you know, seeing, having seen him achieve his greatest goals and not achieve many of his goals, including, you know, just recently, um, on the hot day at Chicago, you know, he gets disappointed. But it's the same type of like, I was going for that because the the act of chasing it is what seems so like was so uplifting and life affirming, uh, not the act of actually getting there. Um, and so as long as we can stay uh, grounded in the process, as you said, that the day to day to chase it is fun, that afterward we're processing this in a, in a you know celebratory mindset. Totally great. Hard part is that can be very difficult. And it's really only relevant in specific types of events, track events, road events, chasing times. Um, outside of that, the extrinsic part of, you know, at least time-based extrinsic is rather irrelevant. And, you know, 
in, in trail races, the a way to approach it is never, ever to worry about, okay, I need to hit this point at this time to achieve this goal. It's like, actually, physiology doesn't work that way. Your body will be able to put out what it puts out on the day as long as we're staying within these effort zones, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's about you know, finding that balance, particularly for road athletes where it gets a little bit more complicated. Um, and that world can also be more caustic for that reason. Anyone who's seen behind the scenes of that world and all the stuff we've seen from the University of Oregon and stuff starts to understand, oh, wait, you know, often these things that are masquerading as healthy goals are actually, you know, damaging, negative for the sport, negative for the people in the sport. Um, and being able to separate those two, I think, is a very special trait of someone like Zach. Okay, so that that makes sense, but let's spin that to 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 the trail world because I think the same I guess the same question kind of applies. Like, let's take Claire as an example, um, who we had on the pod before Western States this year, talking about the um, Boundary Waters Canoe Area FKT mm-hmm. attempt, which was a really cool show. But you know, Claire is obviously Claire embraces as much as anyone else this kind of happily running ethos, uh, but at the same time is a very fiercely competitive athlete. Um, who has had obviously success on the on the largest stage? How do you approach a big race for somebody like Claire, who is you know on, on the 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 biggest stage in the in in the world at least for for our sport? Um, how do you how do you guys conceptualize shooting your shot or racing in that scenario where yes, part of it is going out and enjoying the historic day and and the competition among you know friends and colleagues and and rivals and that sort of thing, but also. She's a very competitive person and she's won this race, but she came in as the defending champion. And, and so therefore it's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to be able to completely divorce your perception of the race from the competitive aspect of the race. Yeah. But I don't think it matters at all in running. Like, I don't think that's the way running works. I think, you know, by say, by saying that you're also channeling some of the, like, you know, you're playing devil's advocate and channeling the extrinsic part of it, but for Claire or for someone like her, she's running her own race out there. It, it is a pure celebratory mindset. Like I, I mean, thinking back to this year, the day before the race, we went to our little place um, in Olympic Valley and, you know, just sat down and we talked about the race for like five minutes and just talked about, okay, how, how the effort should feel, how fueling should look, you know, the types of like thought processes we want to be in out there outside of that, the training has decided the training, if there is any test is, where the test actually happens and the race itself is that celebration because you put yourself out there and some days your body has it and other days it does not and especially in ultra running why and how that happens can seem random and even if we could test every single bio you know physiological profile variable on the start line you would still not necessarily be able to predict outcomes very well and so what seems like certainty after the fact uh is just as you know amorphous and uncertain. And, and Claire's a great example. In 2019, when she towed that start line um, and she won at Western States, you know, I don't know for sure. I'd guess that her chance of winning that race was probably 30% um, or something like that. This year, I think she had a higher chance of winning and she you know, didn't have her best day. And it doesn't mean that either day was that different. And I think Claire is really brought into the idea that, okay, you know, the reason that we celebrate shooting our shot and not whether it goes in is because, you know, what happens after the shot leaves our hands are, is largely out of our control. Um, so, you know, the, the first five minutes of that conversation with Claire focused on like results or whatever, you know, things that might influence results directly and the rest, you know, the next two hours was just like, 
talking like friends about life and everything else, because that's, that's what running ends up being in practice is like, you're not making decisions out there really other than basic effort and fueling and stuff. Everything else is just, you're taking what your body has on the day. Everyone likes to think it's more, you know, a choice than it is. Um, and you know, Claire knew as soon as her race went South, no part of her brain was like, damn, I'm letting David down. Or even I hope I'm letting myself down. I, I think it was, you know, that's sports. Right. That's like, that's being an athlete. And, you know, Claire does that on the biggest stage, but that's no different than someone that might be, you know, chasing the cutoff at a race and misses the cutoff. It's like, they're experiencing the same physical sensations, the same interaction of genetics and training and, you know, vagaries of the race day and everything. And I think that's one of the really cool things about sports is it is this great, great equalizer. And so, yeah, that's why it's like, no matter who you are, fucking celebrate. Uh, you know, it, it, the, the point is, the vulnerability, not the, uh, you know, imperviousness to it. And I think that it's, that's especially important for elite athletes because the process of being a Claire means you're going to have the highest highs and the lowest lows. Right. And the lowest lows are probably going to come more often than the highest highs, unless you're Jim Walmsley. <laughs> and then, and then it's just like mostly high with the occasional low, just to mean, make sure people don't sleep. <laughs> well said, uh, Phil, let's get into 20 questions. Go ahead. All right, let's do it. David, I will give you the first question. What is your favorite quote or mantra? Oof. Okay. I mean, the, e the easy answer is like something from Ted Lasso, just the believe. <laughs> um, yeah. Actually, I'm going to go with Kurt Vonnegut. I'm going to say, um, we're here on earth to fart around and don't let anyone tell you different. Um, <laughs> so I, I think, you know, I... I the that quote is contrasted in the same book with another quote of um you know we're here on earth to help each other get through this thing whatever it is and i love that right like this humanistic like kindness for oriented thing but then that's the flip side of that so the next quote was no we're here on earth to fart around <laughs> and um you know i think that that obviously is a simplification of something we all face which is the absurdity of everything especially things like running and uh embracing that absurdity finding as much of the silliness as we can um taking the the process really seriously but taking it seriously with a wink i think it's this ultimate superpower where you know life can be a lot more fun when you're farting around <laughs> okay love it do you play any musical instruments and if not what do you wish you could play oh my gosh Absolutely not. Actually, I'm exceedingly non-musical. I love music, but I, I can't even dance. I mean, I've tried sometimes. Megan's trying to teach me. So each morning uh, we'll put on music like on Spotify. I'll put on music on Spotify when she's coming down the stairs. We'll try to do like a little dance. It still hurts me to do even in front of this person that accepts me unconditionally. So um, I would say in terms of which, what I wish I could play, oh, man, a sweet guitar solo would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, even like an acoustic guitar. I feel like um, that would be, you know, I could see myself around a bonfire singing the Beatles or something. Sure. Yeah. The acoustic guitar is, uh, it's an easy, it's an easy instrument to play in a very mediocre way. So. <laughs> well, perfect. I can, <laughs> I can do a number of things in a very uh, substandard way. Okay. If you could have dinner with two famous people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, fantastic. Um, so I would usually, I think I would go comedians. I, I'm just, I love comedy and I love the way comedy people's brains work. And I don't think any 
person necessarily has like all of the answers or anything. Um, so, you know, trying to find like existential bliss in a dinner probably isn't going to happen. So I'm going to go first. Pete Holmes, comedian. Mm-hmm. Love, I love his philosophy more than his comedy. So he's kind of like a good in between. If you've never read his book, Comedy Sex God, it's a really great primer on him. You know, and I'm going to, who I'm going to throw in there is Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama seems like the most fun person and so smart. I can yeah. learn so much from her about like being real in a complex world. So she's my second. That's an awesome. interesting dinner. That sounds good. Yeah, that's cool. Let's do some, let's do some running questions. What's the toughest race you've ever run? So world championships in 2017, I forget what the race name was. I think it was just like a one-off race. Um, Nothing about it seemed too hard. I mean, it had like 10,000 feet of vert in a 50K. It was a little, it was hot. Actually, the hardest thing for me is I didn't really consider that European aid stations don't do like sports drink and electrolytes for the most part. <laughs> right. It's uh, like and cheese, and, heavily, cheese and sausage. Yeah. And I'm heavily susceptible to like, yeah, it, I was so focused on that. We had six or no, yeah, something like four athletes on the team were swapped. So I was like too focused on that and not focused on myself. Um, or just the right amount focus. Long story short, <laughs> at relative, like at mile 20, I was in like fourth or fifth, had started having the most severe body cramps I've ever had all over full body uh, and was like writhing on the side of the trail for a bit. And long story short, I remember uh, Laudia uh, Albertson Junkins, mm-hmm. who finished eighth for the women that year. She passed me during one of my convulsions. And she just comes <laughs> by and it's like, I'm so sorry, David. That looks rough. I just, and, and she's the most delightful person in the world. So it was said with Laudia's full humor. And uh, yeah, that was probably the hardest experience I've ever had. Awesome. Um, what's your favorite race? Way too cool. So, um, you know, that, that race was one of the first ones where like, I ever felt totally like at home in a longer trail race. And I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, that was that California community is one that I really came of age with um, in the years preceding it. So, you know, every other mile there was someone I knew and it was just super meaningful. Yeah, those are some fun trails too. That was like a lot of high fives were going down on that and we had a sore arm by the end of it. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of woohoos. It was very uh, wet. It was very, very rainy that year. It was one of those years that has like, you know, river crossings essentially. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of chafing, but it was worth it. <laughs> yeah. What's your go-to aid station food? Uh, as much as I like hate to be the, the the boring person, I just love myself some gels. Like I don't understand when people need to just mix it up. I'm like, I want to eat gels in daily life. It might get to how much I love food in general that I'm just like, well, this is simple food. I love this. <laughs> Not that much different than my, uh, you know, Capri Sun Nesquik palate. Uh, so you guys are yeah, usually spring energy, right? Spring, spring energy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, as much as I, I love spring, we like everything. I, I, I think spring is great. Um, I also love goo rock tea. I like mixing it up sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm a, it's all for me. Nice. Okay. What is your um, bucket list race? I really want to do Lake Sonoma sooner rather than later. I know that it's super simple, but I just love the simplicity of the communities at these different types of races where they're like, everyone is out there and it's a small community, small world where like, you know, you're going to see a face you recognize and you've never met that person and you can like give them a hug after just meeting them. And that process of celebration becomes so much easier and the trails are incredible. 
It really does look amazing, actually. Sonoma is also, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the kind of corporatization, professionalization of the sport and that sort of thing. And Sonoma, I think, is one that, you know, is a, a really top level race, gets, you know, a lot of people and, and really high level elite athletes, but really does maintain that kind of community feel. Well, this just in, I'm looking at my watch. UTMB has bought the Lake Sonoma 50, so. That's not true. That's not oh, true. Oh, wait, they bought this podcast. <laughs> they, bought, they, they bought this hot tea. I, I, I don't know. Now you have to have a podcast to even go race UTMB. It's just this whole thing. <laughs> this is getting a crazy. We're, we're guaranteed then. We're in. <laughs> Speedworker Hills. Hills. Yeah. If I had to choose one. So the thing with Hills is it's it will work for everyone um no matter who it is including some of the athletes we coach that are superstars in their 70s or highly injury prone speed work will work for some people um so if we're doing a blanket recommendation hills are the uh the best application of high output in a sustainable manner is that i mean uh, so that's your answer as a coach obviously is that your answer as an athlete as well no, God, no, uh, no, <laughs> those are so hard every time. So, you know, often early season in particular, you know, I'll go from a base period in, from coach Megan to like more of a hill workout focus. And every single time that I go to like true speed work, I'm like, oh my God, this is so much easier, even though <laughs> heart rate wise and effort wise, it should be pretty similar. I think that the specific nature of the demands, particularly on like muscular endurance and power, um, it's just like even a well-run hill workout can become a little bit uncomfortable in a way that the speed workouts are not for me. Yeah. You see that five by three minute hill workout show up on the schedule. You're just like, Oh fuck. Yeah. I saw it this week. <laughs> yeah, and the, that's the, actually it's one of the hard it's parts about coaching. It's one of the hard parts about coaching and being an athlete sometimes is like, I'm so connected to what I'm asking people to do that sometimes like, especially before things like, like the athletes that are going down to Bandera for a golden ticket, and it's getting more and more competitive and you have to just like go for it. You know, like there are no holding back. You have to, as much as we're going for the process, we also want to make sure that process is the best chance of leading to more fun processes in the future. And I'm like, I look at some of the things I'm asking them to do and I'm like, Oh no, I know exactly <laughs> what that feels like. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, what is the best book that you've ever read? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, I read it when I was really young, and I've read it many times since. And the pervasive silliness mixed with brilliance, mixed with like a s understanding and a scope of this entire universe, um, is just was so meaningful to me. I mean, one of the more famous lines or things, little anecdotes from it is when uh, just randomly to start a chapter, it was just a whole chapter a whale and a bowl of petunias are falling out of the sky, heading down to the earth. And I forget the exact, which one says it, but I, I believe it was the bowl of petunias that says, oh no, not again. And <laughs> that, that, it paid off, like it was either a book or two later where it had an explanation. But I think at first Douglas Adams, the author was just like, this is, this is existence right here. Like this chapter is existence and everything else is just play. Um, and so I love that book. <laughs> it's a real classic alright what is your typical weekly mileage um probably 70 to 80 I do I um it's been a little lower I would say because recently 
Swap has been transitioning a lot more in me in particular to treadmills, where I'll do um, uphill climbing on the treadmill for doubles. So getting fewer miles in, in that way. Um, I've become much lower mileage actually over time. Um, I think it, it's one of those hard, hard parts of understanding where trajectories lie because you know, some of maybe whatever success I did have initially was probably, you know, it was a requirement that that athlete goes through the trial of miles. Right. And now I find that that actually can have the reverse uh, implications for my fitness. And it's hard to know where the causation errors lie, but um, I thought find now that I thrive more towards 60 to 80 range than I used to, or, you know, 100 range. Well, what you said is that when most people start out, they're aerobically limited, right? So it doesn't really matter what you do, just the more of it that you do, the better. And then eventually you get to a point where just doing more doesn't make any more sense. How, how do you determine where, where that point is? Like, what, what is the, what's, the, what's the point at which, you know, more doesn't always equal better? So we're constantly measuring running economy through uh, the GPS files we do get from athletes. And if we don't get those on Strava or whatever, we're, um, you know, using their race performances to calibrate. So even though we're highly process driven, we want to make sure that we're paying attention to the metrics that matter. So running economy being one general one and what we're really focused on is climbing ability at lactate threshold for trail runners or speed at lactate threshold for uh, road runners and then fatigue resistance. So this metric that I think no one really tests for, but what we focus on is like kind of 10 minute effort at the end of an activity that's over 90 minutes to two hours. Combine those two variables, people's outcomes are highly predict, or like you can highly predict them. So I was going back and looking at an article from before Western States this year. And in that article, I was talking about fatigue resistance. And I said, the two athletes that test off the charts are that, that are at Western States this year are Katie Asmuth and Drew Holman. And, you know, we had a bunch <laughs> of athletes at Western States, but the reason I called out those two is that like on that variable, they were as high as we've seen, or at least in that top cohort with people like Claire and Megan. And, um, you know, so the, the numbers do matter a little bit as you're giving athletes like projections about where things lie. And so for me, what I found is that um, my running economy wasn't variable too much based on how much mileage I did, which makes sense because you can do a little more speed, uh, you're a little fresher. But my fatigue resistance surprisingly got worse when I did high volume. And I think that likely comes from some of the chronic stress um, variables like how that affects cortisol, which might affect then downstream things like testosterone and, and stuff like that. So, right. uh, long, long story short, like I've seen with myself that it started to go the opposite direction of what I would expect, which is something we see in a lot of athletes, particularly after they've already done that in their lives. And we need to make sure that we're focusing on efficient output, efficient output, efficient output, even on like the six mile easy day on a Friday. Right. Right. Um, is it my turn, Phil? Um, it's my turn. Oh, sorry. What is your go-to pre-race meal? Uh, night before I am a huge, so we used to be pizza and then Megan got this like autoimmune thing. And so we're trying to do anti-inflammatory for her. And we switched to, um, pho, uh, which is like, you know, heavily rice noodle based. And, um, I'm a big fan of that. We might even do that today because I'm running with Drew Holman tomorrow. Um, <laughs> you gotta treat, then, you gotta treat that like a race effort. I, I always do, always, <laughs> because like he's the nicest guy in the world. He would stay with me at anything, but I also know he's one of those guys that's like, no matter what I have to give, he's going to match it easily. So uh, <laughs> I want to make sure I'm not messing up his training by being on his training day. Um, and then pre-run I or pre-race, I love oatmeal, like just instant oatmeal. Yep. 
Phil, I'm going to call an audible on uh, roads or trails. I'm going to eliminate that one. And instead, we are going to say, which do you prefer, a uh, uh, technical trail or buttery single track? Buttery single track. Yeah. <laughs> I've, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I, I like technical, but the constant, like, um, understanding that eventually I will destroy my ankle is a background that I love running too much to be like, you know, even if it's one out of every 30 days that that's going to happen, it's like, oh, well, that's five days off that I don't want to take or three days off. Right. Um, so I like it all, but I would choose the California single track over the, you know, high mountain Colorado stuff just because of the, <laughs> my ankles are, are not the, uh, not the best joints in the world. <laughs> um, who is your all time favorite runner? Um, Okay, I'm gonna totally cheat and say uh, Megan. My no, that is cheating. Coach. And the reason yeah, I'm gonna I think say that's that totally fine. <laughs> yeah, the reason I'm gonna say that is, um, I mean, everything about our journey is so cool. Um, e- even thinking back to the first run we ever did together, like she was a field hockey player at the time at Duke, and she's clearly so talented, so good. And we're out on this trail run, and like four miles in, she just bonks. And we're like, we end up walking back to the car and it's such a, like seeing her grow from that to, you know, winning so many national championships and all this and and all the ups and downs along the way and how she always finds a way to get back up. It's like, that's what it's about. It's like, you know, right now she's dealing with a terrible health diagnosis with her heart and, you know, she's just like, you know, in the, in the doctor's appointment last week, she was like, you know, will I be able to come back? And as soon as she heard, yes, it was like, okay. Let's do what we have to do to get to that point, even if it's going to be a year from now or two years from now. And that's exactly the type of athlete I want to be. Nice. Yeah. Incredible. All right. We'll allow I mean, it. We, we had her on the podcast before as well. And we spoke about, you know, her injury when she had her um, damaged uh, hamstring. Yeah. And so impressive how she just, you know, made that comeback and was just so strong and like did, did everything right to make it happen. It's just, you know, very, very impressive. It's so hard. I mean, you know, we, what we learned this year is that she has this autoimmune condition. Um, and it explains so much. And I mean, it's a testament one to her toughness, but two, how hard it is to be an athlete that she'd been dealing with this for a really long time. It had likely contributed, if not outright caused her hamstring issue. Um, but she just thought it was like bad, you know, bad luck and she's still getting back out there, you know? And it, it points out that like the reason that results aren't something to focus on is that there's so much outside of our control. So even the results we do find are, you know, random like dust wind, dust storms in the universe. And, um, you know, I think she's lived that the fact that like the process is so much more than the things we can control. It's also the things we can't and that like loving running specifically because it takes everything from you at times is part of why, you know, it's such a great place to learn and grow and become more human. Um, in the journey of being like an athlete and just putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. The quote that I love from, from your pre-race emails is, is always we're stardust with delusions of grandeur, right? Which is, I just, that's <laughs> yeah. a perfect encapsulation. Okay. What motivates you when things start to suck? Um, the suck I've, <laughs> I've learned over time that for myself, dissociating from it is not healthy or something that's needed particularly. Like, I just try to understand that that is something that I want to make friends with, that feeling, that understanding, that knowledge, rather than um, 
you know, to put myself in a different place or imagine the good things that'll come from it or anything like that. Just be like, ah, oh, this is interesting. This is a unique little life morsel of terribleness. Um, and savor that as much as I can. Um, because like, you know, that's a constant companion. Some people don't necessarily always talk about with running is like, at least for me, I don't know what other people feel, but like half the days I'll be like, I don't know if I would choose this sensation. If it was, uh, you know, if this was given to me at a restaurant, I'd be like, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> refund, please. Um, and, but that, and I think that that's part of what I love so much about running. And it took me, you know, a few years to learn that. And as soon as I did, I think it opened up a whole new, new zone of possibility. Nice. Um, if you could compete in any non-running sport at the Olympics, what would it be? Hmm. At the Olympics. Winter or summer. Well, I definitely go basketball because if I was competing summer Olympics in basketball, I would have many hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> um, also, I love basketball. And one of the things we're going to do is Megan rehabs is, uh, you know, play a lot of play a lot of horse uh, and maybe we'll get to one on one after she gets healthy. The problem is she's way better at horse from what I gather from your social media oh. feed. Bullshit. I call it. <laughs> I, you know what? I take it back. She's not my favorite, just my favorite runner. She's also my favorite dirty run liar. <laughs> uh, what's your worst DNF or epic race failure? Although I guess we kind of maybe covered that at Worlds a few years ago, but do you have another DNF or race failure well, story? I ended up, that was a race failure. I ended up finishing, I saw finish that story. I did finish that race. So I was sitting in the last aid station. It was only six miles from the finish, but it was like a wild six miles. And just like, wait, like what's the point? Like this, we we're going to get back down. And Megan had her worst day as well when she was like actually one of the three pre-race favorites. And eventually she comes into the aid station. She just grabs a croissant and says, you're coming with me. And so <laughs> even though I couldn't really move. She said that cramp, to you she, or to the croissant? No, <laughs> maybe I've been just a croissant to her this whole time. <laughs> um, but, you know, she uh, she walked, writhed, convulsed with me uh, to the finish. And so it turned out well, but it was quite a quite a fail from her performance perspective. <laughs> I think I was close to last place. I mean, I, I must have been, um, which, you know, is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. But the, the best part of all is I went from, you know, right at the top at halfway to last at the end. And I think that that shows a remarkable uh, fade that might never, never be reached quite again in ultra history. <laughs> so you got that um, going for you. Who, who would play you in a movie based off your life? Um, okay. I want to go Kate McKinnon from Saturday Night Live <laughs> because she can play anyone. I saw her playing Anthony Fauci the other day. It's yeah. Great Fauci. She was great. Uh, she can she can pull it off. She's got range. Let's go, Kate. I love Kate. <laughs> love it. You ever had someone choose the opposite gender? Um, um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Bam. Yeah. Uh, if you don't remember anything else, <laughs> I got something going right. for me. Uh, I know you're not drinking a lot of alcohol these days, but when you were, what was your favorite beer? So like I said, I wasn't really into into beer, and um, yeah, you know, I, alcohol is really interesting. I I've started to change my tone on it a little bit because in coaching, and I'm sure other people see this too. And, and I guess I'm just trying to do like a little after school PSA here. If if someone listening to this 
struggles a little bit with a relationship with alcohol where it, it takes on like addictive tendencies sometimes. Um, you can reduce your intake or quit without needing a reason to. Uh, I know that that's like super random to say, but seeing what that can do to people behind the scenes and Mm. how some brain chemistries are just prone to it. You know, it's not like it's a choice. It's just totally like, it's the same as winning Western States. It's something that is just within them and is brought out by it. Right. Uh, And seeing that over time has made me just be like, every time it comes up, I'm like, Hey, if you don't want to drink, try, try it, try not drinking. It might be worth it. (laughs) Cool. What uh, what changes do you see in ultra running over the next five to 10 years? I mean, I think it's getting deeper and deeper at the front end. I think that that's the big thing we'll see in performance wise. It's not necessarily that the top end performances are going to improve substantially. I, I, I don't think that's going to happen um, outside of that will be my second answer. Um, but I do think that we're going to see, like, let's say at a golden ticket race like Bandera, you know, 25 people show up that could win on any given day. Um, whereas before it might've been fewer and, and that number will just increase as people see how amazing the sport is. And, you know, we'll get more athletes that come over from track relatively young. Um, and then the second is I'm curious to see how the shoes are going to change the game. Um, you know, in road racing, it's a totally different sport now. Um, and in track, it's the same way. And you can't really look at those, you know, pre 2017 variables and, and now like they're not comparable at all. And so, you know, I, I've did a couple of runs in the vapor flies, just the road shoe. And I'm like this, I could use this on trails for sure. Um, not like wildly technical trails, but like California trails and, yes. you know, the step from that shoe to a version that is usable on trails and provides the same performance benefit is not going to be a massive technological hurdle. And I know some are coming out, but you know, some of the recent ones I don't think are, are particularly are anywhere like that at all. I think they're just normal shoes. Um, mm-hmm. when that, code is cracked, I think we'll, we'll see a pretty fundamental shift in the landscape of the system, much like we did in Rhodes. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Uh, last question. If you had to run a race dressed in a costume, what would it be? Um, you know, I, I'm trying to think of someone that has been naked in an, <laughs> Will Ferrell in old school. I'm going streaking because (laughs) I've never gone streaking and it's a great, like, I think when I was young, I was a little self-conscious. So I didn't do that at like college, like some people would do. And now I guess I just never found a reason for it. But recently I've discovered that like, I'm really comfortable. I mean, I'm really comfortable being naked all the time now. So I feel like the (laughs) next step is to race naked. I, I don't know exactly. Like, I'm sure that there are things I'm not thinking about regarding like, what accoutrement you might need like chafing and stuff but for now i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with that answer and say let's be open and free with our physical natures bring your hat bring your green hat (laughs) exactly let's do it i think burning man has a a naked 50k doesn't it it does it's it's naked optional it's a regular there it's it's naked optional but yes yeah bob hearn runs that i think every year yeah I think yeah. Bob Herm wins it every year and he goes naked, right? I think so. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to be called on my bullshit. 
Bob is somebody we've had on twice and is definitely very comfortable in his own skin. Let's let's put it that way. <laughs> I'm working to get there. I like in everything. I feel like sometimes, uh, you know, including with all the other things I said, after a while, the character you play becomes your character. And so just hoping to lean into that more and more and uh, hopefully take lift some other people up with me. David, this was so great. Thank you for coming on and humoring us with our stupid questions. But uh, it, it was it was great to talk to you for real instead of just online. And uh, we hope to see you soon. Well, I love you too so much, Jay and Phil. Thank you for everything, for believing in me, letting me be a part of your journey. Um, and to everyone that's listening, fucking believe you're awesome. And I appreciate you so much. Thanks to everyone out there for listening. And until next time in the pain cave, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Broken down and beaten up The years have been long and tough But I'm not dead Happy now just to spend Some time with friends And have a roof above my head I'm not jaded, just been faded Like a good old pair of jeans Rusted like a proud old car That's drove a little too far And seen too much rain Long ago as a child I look about the night sky in wild wonderment And ride the bus feel upset to think of all the years I'd have to go through there I was still young I was still young And I was still